There it is, Faithful Generations. Great. Good morning, everybody. Hi. Good to see you. So here we are, second week, as Andrew says, of uh, Faithful Generations, as we explore a little bit what it means to cultivate faith together, one body, not several, not segregated, what that looks like in our own lives and in the life of this church, from youngest to oldest, and within that, at every age and stage, thinking about how we cultivate faith ourselves, but also how we then help and encourage, nurture that in others, and especially perhaps those who are younger generations coming on. And if you're here last Sunday morning, uh, Rachel Turner gave a great talk focusing in particular around, in and around children, uh, the intentionality of what, what that looks like for parents whose prime responsibility children are, but actually the wider uh, body as well, allowing kids to share journeys, adult journeys of faith as well. And if you missed that, I commend it to you, and I commend uh, her training on the 17th of March. I'm sure that will be really, really helpful, just anchoring that in practical reality. And so over uh, this Sunday, next couple of Sundays, we're asking the Lord to continue in that. How, do, how does that theme work out biblically? in uh, our church life explicitly, that's in a couple of weeks' time, in our homes, in our home life, what does that look like? Um, that's next week. And this morning, my brief, my challenge is how does it work out in the life of Jesus himself? What does that look like in the life of Jesus uh, as we see that picture in the Gospels? And what I want to do, feel right to do, actually is just to work through a short passage of Scripture. It's where we're going to start this morning. It's Mark 10. You might want to find it if you've brought your own Bible. There's some up here. The words will be on the screen shortly. Uh, I feel right just to work through a Bible passage this morning where we see Jesus in action. Uh, it doesn't need a lot of commentary. I'm just going to read Mark 10. Here it is. Actually, just before I read it, can we just pray again? Just feel that's just, just open our... God is always wanting to say things to us, you know, and they'll always be good. I don't want to get in the way, and we don't want to be distracted. Lord, Lord, I just pray again that you would enable us to hear your voice. It's the one voice, really, uh, that most matters. Uh, thank you for your word, Lord. We pray that you'd speak deep and speak encouragingly and speak words of life May our hearts be ready, Lord, to go yes to you, to embrace what you've got for us. God, we pray that there'd be power and life in this, in Jesus' name. So imagine the scene. It's a well-known passage. Um, perhaps put yourself there in your imagination if you can. It goes like this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw that, he was indignant, and he said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. I think a bit like the intention behind this uh, series. Here is a, a passage where the context is around children, where children feature in it. It's one of the slightly rare examples, actually, of where Jesus directly interacts with children. There aren't too many times in the Gospels where we, we see that. But it's not all about children. Actually, what this passage, I think, is about, largely, is the kingdom of God. What Jesus, some, Jesus is modeling something to us here. He's teaching us something here about the nature of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I think what God wants to do uh, just in the minutes that we have in this little message is to remind us how beautiful is his kingdom, 
that sphere of God's reign and rule where he has designed us to flourish, all of humanity to flourish, not just churchy people, but all of humanity to flourish in the, in the kingdom of God, to become fully alive as human beings in personal relationship, first of all, with the king himself, in submission to that king, but then in partnership and in presence with the king. It's one of the ways that we, we view Christian discipleship, isn't it, as people of the king. Uh, how, how, how am I doing with that thing called the kingdom of God, which starts internally? And what I want to suggest is that there's a healthy kingdom culture that needs to grow in our hearts as followers of Jesus. Kingdom always starts internally. We as human beings, we live, remember, inside out. The things that are within us, we then express them in the way that we live and talk and, and behave and so on in the world. And God wants to remind us this morning, how beautiful is his kingdom and wants to encourage us, what is kingdom culture looking like in your heart right now? How healthy is that? How, can we, how does the Lord want to grow further health in the kingdom culture that lies within those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus? And uh, there are some signs of that then in this passage. There's many, many others, but in this passage, I just felt him to follow through. The first one uh, isn't so much a, uh, a sign itself, but it's to say that those things will be contested. Kingdom values, kingdom culture in us will always be contested. There's contests going on in this little passage. Jesus, he expresses the kingdom perfectly. What he wants to happen here gets opposed, ironically enough, by his own followers, doesn't it? He, he, he has a kingdom value of, of welcome, of wanting to, uh, for these kids to have access to him, and there are folks who stand in the way of that. Kingdom, kingdom will always be opposed. It's a real simple thing. I just want us to remind, uh, be reminded of that this morning and in one sense to say, do you recognize the contest going on in, in your own heart? If you're a follower of Jesus, somebody's wanting to pursue the kingdom of God as you seek to establish kingdom values in your heart, do you sense contest? Do you sense conflict? Do you sense there's opposition here? We shouldn't be surprised. Bible kind of neatly summarizes, if you like, um, contests as coming from three different directions, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We understand there's a personal force of evil who is going to oppose the kingdom of God in every single way that he can, all of the time. Let's be under no illusion about that. That works itself out in our own flesh. That's the word for that part of my old nature that, is, uh, that has a tendency towards self-absorption, self-centeredness. Uh, it's all about me. I, I reject the king. I'm king over my life. All of that sort of stuff, those rather ugly things that arise within us. That's the flesh. There's opposition there. No, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to go come down the route of kindness and self-sacrifice and generosity. And I, I, my default is towards myself, to my own comfort and pleasure and so on. That's flesh. And then the world. Just pause on this for one moment. John's Gospel in particular uses this world to describe the culture, the human environment in which we live, society in which we're embedded, that part of, of culture that lives without reference to God and kingdom values, and it exerts enormous influence. And let's just remind ourselves of that this morning. There is enormous opposition from culture, kind of united kingdom culture, if you like, to God's kingdom culture, uh, both externally but also battling away in our hearts. I remember going, uh, as many of you will have done, on a uh, beach holiday in Wales, got on an inflatable, lovely day, went out, paddled out as a young person, probably, I don't know, 10, 12, and uh, I just remember enjoying kind of sunbathing, whatever. I looked up at a particular moment and I found that I was no longer opposite the family where I'd left them on the beach. I was a considerable way down the coast because the tide subtly hadn't done anything, but the tide had just taken me down there. 
I remember paddling furiously to get back, as you do, slightly beginning to panic. My dad came out into the water, grabbed a hold of the inflatable, and together we were able to, to kind of fight against the tide and come back upstream. That picture just comes into my mind when I think about culture, kingdom culture versus world, the world's culture. And please don't hear me say I'm suggesting everything about the world is wrong. I'm absolutely not saying that. But there is something about the tide of culture, we'd recognize that, wouldn't we? That unless we are actively seeking to contest against it, we will just drift along with it. So we need to recognize this contest going on in our own heart and life. The Bible says we're to be in the world. Of course we are. It's no good retreating to Christian ghettos and and that kind of thing, to staying on the beach, if you like. Um, Actually, the the world needs us. We are those who are kingdom agents to to bring something of God's kingdom and value to to the culture that we live in. But we're not to be of the world, says the Bible. So our values are different. We need the Father's strength in that image. We need the Father's strength, don't we, to help us uh, establish kingdom culture in here and to fight for it in ourselves and in each other and, and for the world. So it's not about judging, it's not about ju- in fact, the opposite, it's about having compassion on a world that doesn't yet know uh, Jesus, doesn't yet know kingdom. That works out in different ways too. Race week, uh, not just fighting for ourselves, I'm thinking about race week, for example, uh, and fighting for uh, justice and fighting in, uh, in, in terms of anti-trafficking and what are we doing as a church engaged in that and a million and other different things. But I just want to establish this contest. But here in this passage, Mark 10, just look down at it again. What we've got here is a beautiful kingdom value of everyone mattering. Everyone matters. And again, it's not rocket science to us. And, and, and we might say, yeah, I know that, and, and, and that's true in my life. But let's just pause a moment, if, if we might. First century Palestine, where this takes place, children didn't matter. What Jesus is doing here is contested partly because it's so countercultural. Kingdom culture will always be countercultural. And it's true in that culture that sometimes uh, folks did take kids uh, to rabbis for a blessing in the way that is happening here. But in that culture, shockingly, children had no standing whatsoever as elsewhere in the, in the ancient world. There's a kind of pecking order, hierarchy of those who are deemed valuable. And the kids, because they can't contribute to the economy in any kind of way, have no standing uh, whatsoever. So what Jesus is doing here by giving them equal honor, equal dignity, equal value alongside everybody else is highly countercultural. It was even lawful, by the way, for newborns um, to, if, if parents didn't want them, just to be left on the wayside. And uh, sometimes gangsters, unscrupulous people would even take those newborns and raise them as either gladiators uh, or prostitutes uh, and exploit them in, in horrendous ways. Jesus' kingdom culture, counterculture, powerfully saying no, no, the least and the last, those who have uh, no power, less place in the world structures, they have exactly the same value in my kingdom as everybody else. Not only equal value, but I love them just as much. Question for ourselves, is that... What the king, is that the kingdom culture, the beautiful kingdom culture being established in my own heart? I don't know if you've seen the, the Shack or read it, the book or the film. There's a char- the character who plays God describes somebody with great affection and says of them, I'm especially fond of you. In fact, you're my special favorite. And then a bit later in the book or the film, says exactly the same to somebody else and then the same to somebody else. And you gradually realize that actually what God is saying is, I'm especially fond of all of you. 
I'm especially fond of you and you and you and you and me. And you're my special favorites. And I suppose logically, by definition, that means that God has no favorites because a favorite means a comparison. But you get the point. There is something beautiful about the God's desire and heart for each and every one, from youngest to oldest, as it were least, as it were to greatest. It's not news. But actually, even in our own culture, that's not worked out well, is it? So challenges me as I turn it into myself. Is that how I see? Is that how I love? If I'm a follower of Jesus, do I live with that? I certainly live with the same commission that he did as the Father sent Jesus. He says, so I send you. So we're sent with the same commission to represent the love and the values of the Father in our world. That's part of our commission as the people of God to represent. We represent the goodness and the greatness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to a world that desperately needs to connect with that God. So do I attribute the same value, the same dignity to my best friend as to the person from whom I can get absolutely nothing back, whom I might not uh, even like, who's totally different from me, who may even represent things that I don't want to stand for or agree with? Do I give that person in my mind in the way that I view them exactly the same value as a person made in God's image. Everyone matters. What we see next is Jesus expressing love as always in service. We spoke about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? I'm not going to elaborate it too much, but love always looks like giving. Love always looks like blessing. Love always looks otherly. Love always looks like your interests first. Serving is such a clear expression of love. Jesus did it all the time. That's why he's called the servant king. So the value of every human is, is exactly the same in God's lens. The needs of every human being, well, they might vary. Of course they do. They're not all the same. We're called to bless. We're called to serve in all kinds of different ways. That will look different for us in all kinds of different ways. Seems to me that there's some, some of that is reactive and some of that is proactive. As we establish kingdom culture in our hearts, what does it look like? What does that value of being servant-hearted look like? Both reactively, Jesus is reacting here. He didn't go looking for these kids, they came to him. He's reacting, there's a response. What comes out of him? It's a heart of love, it's a heart to bless, it's a heart to serve. So often that happened in his life, didn't it? He, he served young and old and Samaritan and Jew and rich and poor those who looked like him, those who didn't, men, women. He was always interruptible, always seemed to have time for the one in front, serving the one in front. Is that a, a kingdom culture? Is that part of the, the way that we're responding to a world that needs him? So we follow Jesus, we learn to partner with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. Let's be ready to serve the one in front, to be interruptible. There isn't really a, a sort of scale, a kind of hierarchy of, of needs. Well, I, I won't meet that one because you know, this one's more important. So often in life, things come to us. We come across situations. I ask myself, am I interruptible? Father, what are you doing? What do you want to do here? How do I express the Father's love? What does kingdom culture look like in this scenario for this person or these people? At the same time, proactively, clearly in Jesus' modeling, clearly in his teaching, there's an emphasis towards those who have particular needs, people living in places of particular vulnerability, whatever that might look like. It might be the poor, it might be the sick, it might be the lonely, it might be the outcasts, it might be those who are vulnerable in different ways, and to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom, especially there. Here, this is a vulnerable group. 
Jesus is blessing and serving children. He's elevating them in the eyes of a, of a society that uh, despised them, essentially, and, and said that they had no place. Here's a, a vulnerable bunch of, of people, and he's saying, no, there's, there, there are needs here. There's dignity here. There's value here. What does it mean to, to love and express that in this moment? Especially to a group who are seen as having a status as inferior. And of course, that'll part of what this series is about. It's part, in, in a sense, of what so many of the Bible's messages are around as we seek to grow in kingdom culture. What does that look like? To whom am I being particularly called? What's that working out like in my life? Enjoyed talking to members of the family here who find themselves drawn to different people groups, faith for generations. It might be a particular generation. There's a lovely conversation that's just sprung up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, There's a counsellor in Pitville Ward who's part of that conversation. There's one or two folks from the church here who it's on your heart to bless and serve those who are most lonely uh, in our society. Interesting, isn't it, that that we've appointed a minister for loneliness at government level. We'd recognise that in a super-connected world, that that, that blight of loneliness, particularly amongst elderly people. And and God seems to be stirring something in that way and and bringing some people together and part of the conversation. And feel free to join in if if that's something that's grabbing you. I'll put something uh, a bit more together about it. But if that's where you're at, come come and have a conversation because God's doing something locally here. Uh, and I'm sure it will issue in, in great ways. To, to somebody else, they felt called to a group of women at the WI in Presbury. I love that. Just a sense of, God, who are you, who are you most connecting me with? Uh, and that was one of the ways that that prayer was answered. For others, it will be children, young people, most explicitly you parents. Absolutely, it's your prime calling. And we never stop being a parent, those of us who have children. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it? Those of us blessed with children, we spend more of our time parenting, parenting adults than we do kids. That's always a challenge to those of us who are empty nesting and and beyond. What does parenting of a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old look like? And so on, on and on. One of our questions in this season, though, what's our role in serving those who are younger in faith, passing on faith? Again, commend Rachel Turner's uh, session on the 17th uh, and all sorts of other things too. So the heart of a healthy kingdom culture will be to express itself in service. I want to dwell briefly on the next one. This is very, very close to the heart of the kingdom itself, isn't it? There's an invitation here to close encounter. There's an invitation to close encounter. It's actually the heart of the passage if you think about it. What's going on here in Mark 10? There's this, this group, in this case a particular group of people, vulnerable people, youngsters, kids, And it's some people's desire for them, and it's certainly Jesus' desire, that they come really close to to a place of of blessing. It would be a very, very unusual child, wouldn't it, who didn't find the lap of their parents, whether that's mum or dad, the most safe and the most beautiful and the most reassuring and the most comforting, in some respects, the most exhilarating of places. That would be a very unusual young, young child who didn't have that experience. Some of us may be able to um, remember that or, or certainly have a sense of it ourselves. Jesus, remember, perfectly represents the Father on earth. What does he do here? Uh, in this version, he takes them in his arms. In another version in Matthew's Gospel, he sits them in, on his lap in that place of extraordinary intimacy and safety and reassurance and connection and presence. And we see it over and over and over again uh, in the gospel stories. Because in the end, why? In the end, it is the biggest need 
of every man, woman, and child on the planet, to know that embrace, to know the love of Father God for which they were made. That is the biggest need bar none of all of us and all those whom we rub shoulders with day to day in our world. To know him, to come close, to experience him, to be, yes, rescued, to be forgiven, to be set free, to be drawn into personal relationship through Jesus, and then to live eternally in his presence. Jesus is clear here. He says you have to enter the kingdom. That there is a, there's, there's a not entering and there's an entering, or in a different version, receiving it. You have to receive the kingdom. You have to enter into the kingdom. It's not automatic. It doesn't happen. We, we're not born there. The kingdom is eternal. It's begun to be established on earth, but it will continue fully in eternity when Jesus comes again. But not everybody is in the kingdom. Jesus is is clear there. Not everybody is in it. Not everybody gets to be in it. We need to enter it. We need to receive it. Salvation matters most for everyone. And if I may, though, it treads on sensitive ground. I know I think one of the things that is being most lost in uh, some spheres of church conversation and amongst people like us, is the sense of eternity in a very physical world, in a very here and now kind of a world where we we see what we see and we're presented with so many physical challenges and issues and we step in rightly into so many physical needs in our world. Actually, the dimension of eternity, the kingdom is an eternal kingdom, begins now but lasts on into eternity and our biggest need to be part of it. We need to keep focusing and remembering uh, that as crucial and Christ-like as it is to help address physical, mental, emotional needs of people, our biggest responsibility as the people of God is to help people towards this encounter with God, encounter with Jesus, close encounter with the Father. We don't have permission to stop short of an ultimate aim to bring folks towards that The route to that may well be caring for mental, physical, emotional needs, but we can't stop short there. I'm going to say something very blunt. Actually, it's not me. I'm going to quote it. An American pastor said this recently. I read him. He said, lots of groups do social action. Lots of groups do social action. It's a great, great thing. But if we, the church, only engage in social action and not in spiritual action, drawing people into the embrace of the Father, we're being less than church. If we only feed the hungry as important as that is, it may mean that they go to hell but on a fuller stomach. The only true place of transformation in the end is in the heart. Close encounter then with the Father through Jesus, the priority of kingdom culture. Taste and see that the Lord is good, says the psalm. Taste and see, not just assent to some mental facts, not just uh, teach some doctrine, not just uh, push some information into heads, but offer experiences, seek experiences ourselves as the people of God, continue to draw close, to dwell, to, to seek the presence of God in close encounter, but seek to bring others, as is the passage here. Young and old, in our context here, let's think about how that would work out amongst youngsters. How do we help youngsters to have close encounters with God. Moody, D.L. Moody, tells this story. He was an evangelist. He arrived home one time from a, uh, a preaching engagement. He climbed into bed. His wife said, how did it go? Pretty well, he replied. Two and a half converts. 
And his wife lay silently for a moment, pondering the response, and she finally said, oh, that's sweet, she said, and how old was the child? No, 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 said Moody. It was two children and one adult. The children have their whole lives in front of them. The adult's life is already half gone. Interesting reflection. Nobody's more important than anyone else, of course. He's not saying that, but clearly more desirable for folks to have children, youngsters. Our youngsters have encounters to come into the embrace of the father at three than at 93, as important as it is for the 93-year-old. So one of the worst things that we can do, according to this passage, is get in the way of that. Hinder. Jesus reserves, you know, he, he gets indignant here. The word is, is indignant. Really, really angry. Jesus gets really, really angry. Uh, it's one of the things that makes him most angry is when people stand in the way of people coming to him. He, he said that to the Pharisees, didn't he? To the religious people. And we can easily put them over there and that group over there. I want to ask myself, in what way, Lord, might I hinder people? Lord, forgive me if I do that. Show me wherever I might hinder people from coming into an encounter with you, what would that look like to hinder you? If we're taking children, youngsters, as kind of an example, as as a particular group at this time, what 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 could it look like for us, whatever age and stage we are, to hinder youngsters coming towards Jesus, coming into encounters with him? How about by our example? Children won't always do what we say, but they certainly find a way of doing what we do. They're very good at that. So does our example hinder or help those who are watching, coming into seeking after the presence of God? How I might show my passion for Jesus or not. How I might pray for children or not. How I might share my stories of a journey with God in all its good, bad and ugly bits or not. We promised, by the way, this morning, beautiful, there's so many family things going on this morning. We promised, didn't we, in, in baptism for the two kids this morning that we would support not just them but their parents. We said, yeah, we'll support you in the way that you nurture and raise faith in your children. It's your responsibility, but we as a family, we, we're going we're gonna to back you. We do that every time we baptize here. What does that look like? Is it just words on a Sunday or how, how does that look in the way that we then act that out? And so on and so on. Final little sign of a healthy kingdom culture. I haven't got time to dwell on it. Stay childlike. Stay childlike. So our prime identity, Andrew was saying earlier, is kingdom people. Come into the kingdom, come into that place of embrace by the Father. He then embraces them as son, as daughter. It's it's that identity that we most preciously carry. It's amazing how easily we become so adult though, isn't it? How we grow up, inverted commas, um, or not. Jesus says part of growing up actually is to say childlike. It's one of those beautiful countercultural kingdom statements. Part of the way that we grow up in the kingdom is to stay childlike. Not childish, Paul contrasts those two. Paul says, no, put away childish things, but childlike, absolutely. How? Well, in a whole variety of ways. I haven't got time to think about them now, but they're, they're good to ponder, good to study. The openness of a child to go, yeah, I I can express my need. Kids kids have no problem expressing their needs. I want something, I need something. Are we those who express that need openly, vulnerably to our our Father, who then trusts Father until cynicism and disappointment and the affairs of the world begin to erode that trust. The trust of a young child is so beautiful, isn't it? Such a, a wonderful picture of dependence. 
I not only open myself to the, to, to the needs that I've got and say, I've got these needs and are you going to meet them? But I trust that you've, you're good and that you will meet them, that you are powerful, that you'll, you'll do what you, you're there to do, which is to, to provide. And we mess and screw that up in all kinds of ways as humans, but our, our Heavenly Father doesn't ever. Being childlike is remembering that. It's remembering that he's a good, good father, that he loves to be our stuff. He loves to be approached. He loves when, when we crawl on his lap metaphorically. Time and time and time again, and we can think, oh, no, that's a, that's a, that's a childish thing to do. And, and, uh, I ought to be more self-sufficient. No, self-sufficiency self is the killer of faith. It's the killer of faith. God says to us this morning that it, as we examine the, the, the beauty of the, or, or not, of the health of the kingdom culture within our hearts, where, where's faith right now? What, what is it in our life that requires faith? Or, or does my life just require my own competence to keep the wheels spinning and it's all okay? Where am I seeking greater faith? Where am I seeking a greater dependence on God? Where am I looking for things to happen in my life which can only happen if God steps in because I'm asking him to do so? Or in the life of somebody for whom I'm praying? Children model that beautiful thing to us here. They can't earn much. They might not be that clever, not that powerful, not that influential, not that significant, not that qualified. They were none of those things in that culture. Weak, almost the definition of weakness. And what happens? Beautiful kingdom interaction. And Jesus highlights them and says, yeah, be like that. Be like that. Be dependent like that. Be powerless like that. Be humble like that, if you like. Be open like that. Don't rely on your qualifications, your skill, your cleverness, your intellect, your 21st century Cheltonian competence. A whole bunch of beautiful qualities. Are we asking the Lord to cultivate in us this culture, in your heart as a God person, as a follower of Jesus if you are? Where is he saying, let's get a bit more healthy there? as we cultivate faith in ourselves, as we cultivate it across and within and over our generations, and especially in the way that we model and pass on faith to others. Let's pray that he'd grow that in our own hearts, in childlike faith, in service, in passion for close encounter with the Lord, helping create kingdom culture around us, and then if it's within us, we'll express it to those who most need to live in it. Amen. Let's stand. You might want to put a hand on a heart if, if you'd like to do that. I feel no pressure to do it. Sometimes physical actions are helpful. We're going to be quiet for a minute. The band will come in a moment and just play quietly. Uh, but, but let's just allow the Lord to do what he always does. If we ask him. If we want. To take things that are his and make them ours. Things that are for us individually and as a group together, and to embrace them and say yes. Andrew was saying earlier, give your yes to God. He's given his to us. Here's a moment before we leave, before we have coffee, connect with each other, to give our yes to what he's saying. Just wait for a minute.
feels like a big prayer, Lord. Make our hearts healthy. Grow your kingdom culture within us. But we're praying it and we're asking that you'd show us what that might look like, what a next step might look like. We're asking you to show us to, to, to till the soil of our hearts, Lord, that it will be fertile and receptive to growing that culture. As your spirit creates a different mindset, transforms us. So come, Holy Spirit, do that, we pray. Do that, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Show us, Lord. Each one, show us. Show us. Thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you don't want us to stay as we are. Thank you that you're about growing us. So one of the things I've been sensing for today uh, is that God wants to restore uh, a real passionate ambition in many hearts um, for growing and especially for growing in faith. It's just amazing how easily we've found ourselves, some of us, um, having faith eroded and having that passion for the Lord uh, eroded and for having an ambition to grow eroded. Uh, and life has become a bit about survival, and, and we understand that, there's no judgment. But I believe that one of the things God wants to do here this morning is to revive passion, passion for him, but revive an ambition to grow, and to grow in faith, and to exercise faith, and for our hearts to be that place where he cultivates faith. Uh, and we begin to see more through that lens. Uh, and, and if that's you, I want to invite you to, to come forward. What we do here, for those who don't know, is we invite folks forward and now's that moment. So please come forward. If you, if you know that you want to receive prayer, by the way, for anything, uh, just come. Don't wait for a further invitation. That's right. Just make your way forward. Just come. But I think especially, you, you know your heart, just you want to be revived in passion for God. You want to be re- renewed in, in, a, in that ambition to be a person of faith, where faith looks like something. It's not just a, a kind of Christian label. But we exercise faith. We grow in faith. We see God doing stuff because of prayers and actions taken in faith. If that's you, would you just come? Just come. I'm going to share a few things. If they connect with you, it means that the Lord is on your case. And uh, part of courage means responding. But don't wait for one of these to be true of you if you just want to come and be with the Lord. Here's a great moment just for a fresh encounter with the Lord, a great, just a, a fresh touch from God. Those kids, you know, they came up on Jesus' lap, they were blessed, and he gave himself to them. Here's a great moment to do the same. If that's you, just come, just come. Up on the balconies, there's stairs either side here or at the back. It'd be great to have some family members to come and uh, participate at this point. It's a lovely way to serve and bless and love the family, isn't it? Just to, um, to pray. Come, men, men and women. Just going to share a couple more things. Somebody had um, pictures we're praying. It was this, a dull ache 
wasn't very glamorous, but just a really strong sense. I don't know even if they felt it in their body, but a dull ache. And it sort of captured what life felt like for some people today. That the, the business of life is a bit like a dull ache for you at the moment. If that resonates at any level, then it means that God wants to bless you in particular this morning. So why don't you come and allow for that to happen here? There was a word about simplicity that arose from the life of children. There's something beautiful, childlike about simplicity. It may be that life feels tremendously complex for you at the moment. And for God to help you in seeing things simply as a blessing of simplicity, we'd love to pray for you.